This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. As listeners to a science podcast, you're forgiven if you missed the start of the Rugby League World Cup on Saturday. It's set to be the biggest and most inclusive Rugby League World Cup in history, with the men's, women's and wheelchair World Cups all coming together and being played under one tournament. There's sure to be lots of drama, plenty of tries, and unfortunately, due to the nature of the sport, lots of head impacts and potentially concussions. It's something that a number of former players in rugby league and other contact sports are claiming has led them to develop chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. I'm having a conversation with people and halfway, it just completely goes and I'm just get lost and just, you know, the mood swings as well, like massively ups and downs. Steve's only 42 with four young kids and he's already experiencing symptoms of dementia from repeated blows to the head playing rugby. This hasn't been the view shared by an influential panel of experts, the Concussion in Sport group. According to the group's most recent consensus statement, it's still not possible to say there is a cause-and-effect relationship between CTE and concussion. The group's evidence has informed sports policy for years. But now, one of their lead authors and a world-renowned expert in concussion, Dr Paul McCrory, has had several of his papers retracted from a journal he used to edit. Sporting bodies are now facing a reckoning over concussion and their advice to players. So, what next? I'm The Guardian science editor, Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. Andy Bull, you're a senior sports writer for The Guardian and you've been following this story very closely over the past few months and years. I know it's quite complicated. There are a lot of moving parts, but it all centres around concussion in sport. When did we first realise that this could be an issue for contact sports like rugby? Yeah, well, if you think about boxing, the dangers of... uh blows to the head in boxing have been apparent for a really long time. So you, you go back to about the 1920s and you start hearing people talking about ideas like being punch drunk. In the 1930s, that gets identified as a disease called dementia pugilistica. So it gets a formal name for the first time. Then by the 1950s, that disease, dementia pugilistica, has been rebranded as chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, which is what it's known as today. The key year in the modern history of this is actually 2002, when a forensic pathologist called Bennett Amalu, who you may know, they, they made a movie called Concussion, uh, and Bennett Amalu was played by Will Smith. He uh, finds this disease, CTE, 
in the brain of a former NFL player called Mike Webster. And that's the first modern evidence we have of CTE in the brain of a deceased former contact sport player. And just give us a sense of how CTE affects people. It's a neurodegenerative disease. So it causes you know, the progressive degeneration of the brain. And some of the symptoms that you might expect from that, you know, along with amnesia, you know, there can be violent mood swings, uh, there can be severe depression. It's worth my saying, I'm certainly no great expert on it. It's very hard to be expert on it. It's still not something we understand terrifically well. But trying to understand what head trauma does to the brain, and particularly concussions acquired during sports, takes us to an editorial by someone called Dr. Paul McCrory, which came out in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, or BJSM, in December 2001. Who is Dr. McCrory, and what did that editorial say? So Paul McCrory was, uh, he's Australian, and and he was a, a doctor for the Aussie rules team Collingwood in the 1990s. As he became more prominent in his career, he became an advisor for the whole league on the issue of concussion. In 2001, he publishes this editorial in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, which is a publication he went on to become the editor-in-chief of. And in this editorial, which is called When to Retire After Concussion, McCrory argued, amongst other things, that there is no scientific evidence that sustaining several concussions over a sporting career will necessarily result in permanent damage. And he goes on to discuss the idea that a doctor should advise an athlete to retire after sustaining multiple concussions. And he says that's neuromythology. He became uh, a very prominent figure in the field, and his uh, views always tended to what would be described as the conservative end of the spectrum. He was essentially a skeptic about the link between CTE and degenerative brain disease and concussions and subconcussive blows in contact sport. Okay, and Paul McCrory's view is important because he ended up having a lot of influence in this field and what was being recommended to sporting bodies. Yeah, so McCrory was a a founding member of what was called the, still is called, in fact, the Concussion in Sport Group. And that was a sort of group of unaffiliated medics and experts in this field who decided to start meeting every four years to publish a consensus document. And that consensus document would explain the state of the existing research into the links between brain disease and sport. And it would also suggest what best practice for dealing with it should be at that current time. And McCrory became the lead author on several of these consensus papers. He was also a senior member of the organizing committee and the scientific committees. It didn't take long before they were being supported by the International Olympic Committee, FIFA, World Rugby, the International Hockey Federation, and that only added to their influence. And what did that consensus say about whether previously concussed players should either take time out, quit the sport, or whether they should have a sort of phase return to play? So McCrory was a great believer that the uh, rules as they were existed at the time were fairly arbitrary was the phrase he used and if you take rugby union at the time a concussed player was automatically out of the game for three weeks it was just a blanket stand down period and McCrory argued that that ought to be replaced by what they called a graduated return to play that in itself was not a bad idea it's still not necessarily a bad idea there was a lot of scientific agreement with that idea 
But one of the effects of it was that the return to play they laid out could be completed in six days. As the decade has gone on, there's been more and more evidence that six days is really an insufficient length of time to allow the brain to really even begin to recover, even if a player has passed those tests. So this internationally renowned concussion expert, Paul McCrory, and the consensus group he was part of, along with other researchers, doctors and scientists, are putting out these reports that remain hugely influential and are seen as somewhat of a gold standard. Then something happens that sets off a bit of a chain reaction. A professor of sports engineering at Sheffield Hallam University, Dr. Steve Haag, reports to the BJSM that much of an editorial by McCrory, published back in 2005, had actually been repeated verbatim from an article Haag had written in 2000. At the time, McCrory said it was an editing error and that a draft of his work had been uploaded by mistake. But that certainly wasn't the end of it, was it? No, And this is one of the most intriguing parts of covering this story, I found. That was picked up by a a group called Retraction Watch, which is run by Nick Brown and his friend James Heathers. And having spoken to them, again, they really knew nothing about McCrory. They had no idea what a significant figure he was in the world of sports medicine. But uh, they like to investigate cases of alleged academic malpractice. And they started digging into McCrory's back catalogue. And they found more and more incidences of plagiarism in his work. This culminated last week when uh, the BJSM announced they were retracting nine of his articles and adding an expression of concern to another 74 that he'd written over the years he was working with them. Trust in this man's work is broken at this point, so the undermining effect is huge. The British Journal of Sports Medicine and its publisher BMJ said in a statement last week when those nine retractions were announced, I mean, some of them related to concussion, they said their trust in McCrory's work was was broken, as you say. I mean, they had verified allegations of plagiarism for five articles authored by McCrory. I think three more articles contained duplicate or redundant publication, which means they were just publishing the same material as before. And in the ninth retracted article, the one we discussed earlier from December 2001, the BJSM editors said, McCrory inaccurately quotes and misrepresents the position of Dr. Augustus Thorndike, which they say distorts Thorndike's recommendations for managing ongoing participation in contact sport after discussion. But throughout all of this, McCrory has remained notably quiet. And despite our colleagues in Australia contacting him numerous times for comment regarding the plagiarism allegations and his clinical research and other related subjects, they've received no response. What do you think happens next for McCrory? That's an interesting question. I mean, he's resigned already from the concussion in sports group. It's not the only problem he's facing. You know, separately in March, Guardian Australia revealed that in May 2018, McCrory had provided an enforceable undertaking to the Medical Board of Australia that he would not perform neurodiagnostic procedures. We're waiting to hear from him. You know, it would be fascinating to know what he has to say. The first area we're going to see a change come about here is the concussion and sport group. They're due to meet at the end of this month, actually, at the end of October, to publish a new consensus. And in fact, the most recent consensus 
still said a cause and effect relationship has not yet been demonstrated between CTE and sports related concussions or exposure to contact sports. It's going to be fascinating to see whether they've revised that or scrap it altogether. Beyond that, there's a legal action which has been launched between a large group of former rugby players and the authorities who run the game. The players and their representatives will argue that it was a mistake for the authorities to change from a three-week stand-down to a six-day stand-down. So the fact that one of the key architects of that change has now been discredited so emphatically is going to be a key factor in that court case, I imagine. Andy, as you said, this all undermines confidence in McCrory, the group and their recommendations. But what about the field of concussion and brain health as a whole? I think what we're really going to have to expect to see, and, and almost there'll be people demanding to see this, is much more thought about who we are listening to and who is shaping this research. So the consensus document, you know, there's a lot of good policy in that. A lot of very reputable scientists agreed with some of the consensus document. But what we would like to see now, I think, or what campaigners would like to see now, is really more of a patient-driven approach. So seeing some of the people who are suffering from these issues and living with these issues, the, the affected players, the affected families, becoming more involved and making it less about scientists in rooms making decisions behind closed doors and more about gathering testimony and expertise from right across the spectrum of people who are involved and affected by these issues. Andy, huge thanks for coming on and walking us through all of this. Sounds like it's not all over yet. No, I suspect we'll be uh, writing about it in The Guardian for a, a good few more years yet. Thanks again to Andy Bull. You can find his coverage of the story at theguardian.com. And Grace Dent is back with a fourth helping of the Comfort Eating podcast. This time, her guests include Graham Norton, Mallory Blackman and Dorno Porter, chatting about the foods they go to for a bit of comfort. The first episode is out now, so search for Comfort Eating wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. That's it from us today. The producer was Madeline Finley. The sound designer was Rudy Zagadlo. And the executive producer was Max Sanderson. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.